Blog Talk Radio. All right, well, y'all join Bonnie and standing. Take your songbook. Let's, <laughs> let's turn to 219, number 219 in the songbook. Trying to catch her, trying to catch her before she sat down there. Little as much when God is in it. Let's sing together tonight. Good to see you in church. In the harvest still now ripen, there's a work for all to do. Hark the voice of God is calling to the harvest calling you. Little is much when God is in it, labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. Does the place you're called in labor seem so small and little known? It is great if God is in it and he'll not forget his own. Little is much when God is in it, labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown, and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. Are you laid aside from service, body worn from toil and care? You can still be in the battle, in the sacred place of prayer. A little is much when God is in it, labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. When the conflict here is ended and our race on earth is run, he will say to all the faithful, welcome home, my child will done. Little is much when God is in it, labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown, and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Good to be in church tonight. Amen. Good to see y'all tonight. Amen. Everybody doing okay? Praise the Lord. Got prayer requests, anybody? Miss Charlotte got one. Praise the Okay. Five days from now. All right. Well, remember to pray for her. Like I said, Pam's an old friend of mine, one of the first people I ever ever went by and knocked on the door and talked to about coming to church. She was one of the first people ever showed up back in 2000 whenever we were having church out of 635, 30-something southeast Paris. It was over right next. You walk out of the automotive in Walmart and jump the fence, you'd have been in my backyard. Oh. That's right where I was at, so... And we had we started we started Shining Light Baptist Church there. Uh, actually, yeah, it was uh, it was uh, March the first of two thousand. Yeah, yeah, March first of two thousand was the first service we ever held. And uh, she wasn't at that one, but she was at one about a month or two down the road. So y'all pray for her. She's a sweet lady. Y'all remember to pray for Scott as well. I hadn't Byron hadn't heard from him today, but. But I know he'd love to be here with us, and, and I thought about him. We sang that line about, are you laid aside from service, body worn from toil or care? 
And I know he'd like to be in church. He'd like to be up serving God and doing things that, that he's not able to. Y'all pray for him. God will give him some uh, healing touch and, and give him good days where he's able to get up and do things. He really, I, I, he, I thank the world, Scott, and I want to see him blessed. Um, anybody else? Okay. All right. We'll pray for her. Anybody else, Mom? Okay. Yeah, I got a situation that's unspoken needs to be resolved too. Uh, Lord knows all about it. Yes, Miss Charlotte. All right. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? I stopped visiting John this morning, Simmons. Uh huh. And they said be sure to remember his wife. The one has cancer in the mm-hmm. London at the time. He's on Friday, I think it is, to get her last. Yeah, right? No, she's going to get one more CT scan or whatever it's called. Yeah. And then they said after that, this is going to get a CT scan. And they said they think that. They probably have to do more physical, more stuff afterwards. You know, God's going to take all this away. We ain't going to work right now. Praise the Lord. God's got me. Will it, will, we'll yoke with her in prayer and believe yeah. God's got me. God's going to relieve me. Really Praise the Lord. That first time thing, mm-hmm. she, she had all that trouble in her face, she just woke up and sang, Jesus loves me. Praise she God. didn't even know her. Amen. Then, uh, they said it. Uh, he told me, he said, I was talking to one of the people out there, he was working for and all, and they said, my son grounded. And mm. then he, somebody revived him and all. Mm. And he said, well, he's just a little b-boy. Right. And then he, later on, he said he was drawing a picture and everything. And uh, he said, this is Jesus and everything. He said, he's the one that saved me while I got grounded and all. Wow. Wow. Yep. Little bitty kid. That's something else, sir. He, they wouldn't even talk about it. Right. Anything. The little boy told him, this is Jesus. He's wow. going to save me. Why? They never talked to the boy. Right. Praise God. So he said, yeah, God is in it. Amen. God does things, things we don't know about. So praise God. Praise God. God be the glory. Amen. All right. Anybody else? Before we go to the Lord tonight in prayer. All right. Y'all remember to pray for my friend Carl Cullum in Paris? And uh trying to think if there's anybody else off the top of my head. I'm probably forgetting somebody. I'll remember to pray for my sister in Arkansas and and uh I'm, and anybody else I'm forgetting. But Lord knows. Lord knows. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's ask God to meet with us tonight as we meet with him. Robert lead us. Amen. You can be seated.
Canaan's fair and 
Proverbs chapter 16. And again, we're looking tonight at verses 7 through 14. So let's go ahead and let's get right to it. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to start tonight with one of my favorite verses in Proverbs. One of my favorite verses. Chapter, chapter 16, verse 7, which says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. You say, now why does that verse why does that verse mean anything to you especially? Well, because I'm sure myself, like most everybody else, we we most people they're made to believe that we ought to go around worrying about what everybody thinks about us all the time. We're, the world teaches us. The world thinks that it teaches us that we I mean again, we're we're to, Always be concerned about everybody's thoughts about us, and that's not the case, you know. And again, if you, if, especially for a, a young person growing up in this world right now, can you imagine how paranoid they are that they're going to offend somebody? I don't worry about offending people. You say, why not? Because because of this verse right here, the Bible tells the Bible says, when a man's ways please the Lord. He makes even his enemies be at peace with him. Now, I realize that does not mean that every sodomite in the world is going to like me because I stand on the Word of God. Now, that's, not going to, that's not what that means. Don't misunderstand the Scripture there. But what it, what it is telling me that I don't need to worry about what everybody else thinks. The only person I need to be concerned about is God. And when I'm focused not on what you think about me or what somebody else thinks about me, when I quit worrying about what y'all think, and I'm not saying you as my not the church that I pastor. I'm not trying to be rude with you. I'm just simply saying society as a whole, in general, instead of worrying about what, how people are viewing me, if I just be concerned about how my Heavenly Father is viewing me, then I don't need to worry about the rest of everybody else. That'll free you. I want you to know that's liberating when you realize that the only one you got to be concerned about is God. Amen? Listen, again, Let's look through this verse. Let's kind of comb through it a little bit because there's more there than all I'm giving you right there. When a man's ways please the Lord. Now answer me this. Is it possible for a man or a woman to live a life that pleases God? It is not the idea that we can be perfectly pleasing to God all the time in our flesh because that's not possible. I mean, and I get what you're saying. I agree with you. (laughs) Right. But it is possible that we can be pleasing to the Lord, but not all the time. You're right, not all the time, because, again, we're we're in this flesh, and this flesh is going to fail God. This flesh is going to fail us. And because of that, we can't be perfect all the time. No, there's no way we can. But can we live pleasing unto God? Yes, absolutely. It's It's the idea that in general that a man or a woman can honor God or can please the Lord with their life. It's not that we can ever. It's, and, and by the way, and I don't know if you all know what, what the doctrine of the Nazarene church is, but I'll tell you that they have a doctrine that they believe, which is pretty far-fetched. It's called the entire sanctification of the born-again believer. They believe, and they teach this. It's on their, if you don't believe me, look up on their website. They teach and preach that a person can get to the point in their Christian life to where they don't sin no more. You wouldn't die. You would never die if that were the case. But that's what they believe. That's what they teach, and that's what they preach. And if you don't believe me, look up Nazarene.org, I guess, or whatever, and, and see. I'm not picking on them tonight, but I'm just trying to clear up a little error there. But you can't get to that point. There's no way. Uh, but But here's what we need to realize. God says we can please him, and I'm going to show you that from the Word of God. I want you to turn to a few places with me, if you don't mind, in the New Testament there. Hold your finger where you're at. Look in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I think most of you probably know this one by heart. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, Paul said, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, and what's the next thing it says? Unto God. That's pleasing to God, isn't it? So we're to live, we're to present our bodies or our lives in such a way that is pleasing to God. So in other words, we need in order to be pleasing to God, we need to be willing to do whatever He wants us to do. So so when you yield your listen to what it's saying. When you yield your present your body, you're yielding it over, you're handing it over to God and saying, God, here am I. 
Here, just like what, what, what did Samuel say? What did Samuel say when God called him? Here am I. Okay, that's exactly what Paul's saying here too, right? What Isaiah say? Here am I. Send me. Send me. Paul said. Paul said that when what we're to do is that we're to say to God, Here am I, Lord. Here am I. And, and the Bible says that that is acceptable to God when we yield ourselves. Because look, ain't none of us going to get. Hear what I'm about to say. There's not a single soul in this room or listening to me on the internet that's ever going to get ourselves so right that God's going to go, oh, you fixed yourself for me. Isn't that wonderful? God don't look at us and say, boy, you did a great job on you. No. The only way we're going to please God is if we quit trying and we just lay ourselves flat on his, on his altar and say, God, I'm a mess, but if you can comb the keys out of me, I might be worth doing something with. Thank you. And that's what Paul's trying to say. Don't try to clean up. Come to him. Just come to him and give it to him, and he'll clean you up. So yield your body and a living sacrifice, holy, which means separated to him, acceptable, which means it pleases him, which is your reasonable service. And I've said this a thousand times, but if you don't do that, you're being unreasonable God. That's not a good way to treat God, is it, to be unreasonable with God. But that's exactly what we do when we're selfish with our lives. Ephesians 5, 8 through 10, Paul said, For ye were sometimes darkness. That means y'all used to live like the wickedest people i ever seen in my life. But now are ye lights in the Lord. That means the Spirit of God's come into you, and now you're manifesting the presence of Christ to the rest of the world around you. And he says, Walk or live your life as children of light. In other words, keep shining for Christ. Keep yielding yourself to him and letting God shine through you. That pleases God. He says in verse 9, for the fruit of the Spirit is in, the, is in all goodness, so, so letting God show his goodness through you to others is pleasing to him, and righteousness, letting his truth uh, come through you, and truth proving, look at verse 10, proving what is acceptable Unto the Lord. So this pleases God, right? So again, when a man's ways please the Lord, what is he doing? He's living for Christ. That pleases God. Colossians 3.20. I got several of these. It ain't going to hurt you. Get them all. Colossians 3.20. It says to kids, children, obey your parents in the Lord. I'm sorry. That's a different verse. Children, obey your parents in all things. For this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. So when a child is obedient... God looks down, he says, that pleases me. When that child says, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, excuse me, please, thank you, God says, "That's I like that. That pleases God. So uh, children, it's important that children teach their parents. I mean, I'm sorry, parents teach their children, not the other way around. That's usually the way it works today. Children teach their parents, but that's not the right way. God says parents will teach the children. But but that pleases God. First Thessalonians 4 1. I only got one more after this. Furthermore, then we beseech you, Paul says, brethren, and exhort you or encourage you by the Lord Jesus that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God. Paul had told them how to live for Christ, how to yield themselves to God, let the Holy Spirit of God working through you magnify Jesus Christ through you to the world. And, other, and again, that's you getting out of the way, you, you telling yourself no and getting out of the way and, and, and when you want to get all hostile and be ugly to somebody, you don't do that. You sacrifice those feelings to God. You say, God, I shouldn't be that way. Please help me. Every time you get ready to do something that you know you shouldn't do, you stop and say, God, please help me. I want to yield myself to you. I don't want to indulge in sin and be out of fellowship with you. Lord, please strengthen me. God, I give you strength. God, I help you keep going. You keep doing that. Keep walking. You're walking in the light. And you're letting the light of God shine to other people. And that's what we're talking about here. And he said, the way I taught you how to do that, he said, as you received of us, how you ought to do it, how to walk and to please God, he said that you would abound more and more. I don't want you to, here's what he's saying. I taught you how to do it. Now, don't just get satisfied and sit down where you are with what you've grown and learned. That's the, that's, that's the danger that the American church faces right now. We've gotten enough. And so we've sat down and give up where we're at. I got plenty of Bible. Don't need no more. Thank you very much. 
I, I, I done served God and I got all the service of God I want. I'm done. That's that's what's wrong, and that's why we're not. That's why nothing grows in America anymore. Everything's dying because everybody's satisfied. <clears throat> he said that you would abound more and more. It ain't enough to be where you're at. You got to keep climbing all the way home, higher ground, higher ground, higher ground. That's what we're to be doing. We're never to give up climbing. Ephesians, I'm sorry, Hebrews 11:6. But without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Taking an attitude of, well, I just don't know if we can do this. I don't know if that will happen. I just don't know. Listen, the Bible says trust God without faith. It's impossible to please him. I want to please him. But we need to have faith that God's in control and God's guided. Amen. Let's keep going. All right. He says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. One way that God blesses somebody is who pleases him is to give him peace in their life. I mean, again. When you're pleasing, when you're pleasing God, God, God will make your way peaceful. God can do that. He often can extend that peace to your enemies. God sometimes, when you're serving Him and working, working for Him and letting Him live through you, God sometimes will not only give you peace with your enemies, but He'll turn your enemies into your friends. He'll give you so much peace with them that you're no longer enemies and you've made friends with them. Um, you know, a lifestyle that's pleasing to God is disarming to hostility. It's hard to be angry with somebody who loves you. It's hard to be it's hard to be a hostile with somebody who's peaceful with you. It just is. And again, when God when the peace of God reigns in your life, it's amazing what things will happen. Verse eight. Verse eight. Better is a little with righteousness. Did you know we was reading? We was doing that verse in that moment. Had you already read that? Because you picked that little as much when God is in it. I thought that meant something. God was in it, amen. God, it's amazing how God work out song service sometimes to mirror what you're preaching on and you don't even work it out. God does that. But better, better is little with righteousness than great revenues without right. Better is a little with righteousness. Sometimes people who are, are righteous in this world, people who live for God, people who, are, who, who the world would look at and say, man, they live a holy life. Listen, they don't have a whole lot of the things this world considers to be great things to have. Uh, you know, people who people I know, people that I've known down through the years in the service of God, just working for the Lord, people that I've run across who are really serving God, you know, you know, most of them, they, they shop at Goodwill. I think of people, I think of people, I'll give you one for example, Leo Lytle. Now, Leo Lytle ain't no broke man, but he puts all his money back into the Lord. That's why they. That's why when they travel, they don't sleep in Holiday Inns. They sleep in the back of that van. They shower in truck stops. You know why? They could do it different, but they choose to live for the Lord. And when you live for the Lord, money ain't that important. The service of God is. And you know, again, I look at somebody like that, and I think, you know, we've got it backwards. We really got it backwards to a degree, because we care more about stuff and, and you know, than than, than we do. God's righteousness. I, I've talked to them. I sit and talk with them extensively, and I'm not blowing them up. I'm not trying to take their horn tonight. I'm just using them as, a, as an example, and I doubt they'll ever hear me say any of this. That's why I'm saying it. But, again, I've sat at a table and listened to them talk, and, and I've heard her say, you know, we're not materialistic people. It ain't, things are not important to us. We just want to love, we just want to live, live for Jesus and, and, and make sure people get to heaven. And, you know, that, and again, that's what it's all about. That really is what it's all about. So the Bible says better. It's better to have little with righteousness than great revenues without right. You know, there's a lot of people in this world who are very, very wealthy, and they look like to the to the natural eye that they've got everything. I was I was talking to one of my kids on the phone, and he was he's got this idea that he's going he's going to get a band together, and hopefully, maybe they can do something. I'm like, just stop. I've already lived that life, and it was stupid, and there's nothing out there to get. It's nothing but heartache and headaches. Don't even go down that road. Just play your guitar and have fun playing it, and don't worry about nothing else. When you go to chasing dreams like that, foolish dreams, there's nothing down that road but heartache and headache. Those people who, you know, those music stars, you know, most people, and I know this ain't got nothing to do with preaching, but it does because it fits what this Bible says right here. 
those those music stars, most of them, they're indebted to the music company, the record companies that they work for. Those people own most of the stuff that they have, and they'll work for the rest of their life trying to pay off debt with those record companies. They're slaves to the record companies, and they ain't living no. Uh, you know, they, it may look to the to the eye when they show them on TV that they've got it all, but the truth of it is that it ain't that it ain't like they show it. It's 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 a hard hard life. And listen, the Bible says great revenues without right ain't worth it. Somebody with great wealth and little righteousness is a whole lot worse off than the righteous man who doesn't have very much. You know, you, I think of people like like Bill Gates. You know, he's got more money than he knows what to do with. You know, he owns a computer company or whatever. He sold it now, I think. But but anyway, he, he's got so much money. He's buying up all this farmland in America, working with the Chinese, trying to bring, bring in the New World Order. I mean, you know what? That man's a miserable man. I guarantee you he's a miserable man because he's involved in all kinds of nefarious activities. People like George Soros, they got all the money in the world, but they are the most miserable people because their lives are full of evil. Klaus Schwab is another one. I tell you, a religious one, Kenneth Copeland. How many of y'all know who Kenneth Copeland is? Y'all are looked in that man's eyes. They something ain't right with him. I mean, there's something bad in behind them eyes. That man a, is a multi-billionaire. Multi-billionaire. How are you going to serve God as a preacher and be a multi-billionaire? Hey, something, you can't do that. I, I'm going to tell you, there's something wrong with him, bad wrong with him. And, and, and again, he's fleeced, ain't no telling how many people with his hocus-pocus uh, mumbo-jumbo. Great revenues without right. And he's getting money the wrong way can never give somebody a peaceful conscience. I can tell you right now, when that man gets ready to go out in eternity, he's going to regret every dollar he stole from God's people. Now, I don't know where he's at. I ain't got no idea where he's at spiritually, but I can tell you this. The man has stood behind a pulpit and say, he said, uh, he said, you don't have a God living inside of you. You are a God. That's what he said from the pulpit. A man like that, I don't trust him with anything. Uh, that, that's a liar. But, but again, you fleece God's people. You 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 rob you rob people to get your money. All that they can have, all the material things that money can buy, all that stuff. When at the end of the day, when their heart seizes up and they go out into eternity, there'll never be another cushy moment in their life, their eternal existence, when they go out and meet God in judgment. And it's not that. Those are the only two options in life that you're either you're either rich uh, rich with material goods and poor spiritually, or you're uh, rich spiritually and poor uh, in material goods. It's not just that those are the two, but 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 when you compare these two options, the first is absolutely better. Verse nine: A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Well, the first part of that verse is a man's heart deviseth his way. That's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing at all. I mean, the Bible tells us in Genesis that we're made in the image of God. Am I right? Okay. So we as the people of God who are made in his image think about our way and plan our way. That's what God does. We're made in his image. Right? Right. God makes plans. He got this whole world planned out, everything in it. So again, it's not unusual that we do the same thing. Matter of fact, there's a lot of people in this world that it do them a good favor if they would make some plans in their life, you know, instead of just sitting around not doing anything with their life or planning anything. Uh, too many people are letting television preachers and social media influencers and Hollywood producers and television directors and executives and act and advertising marketers devise their way instead of doing it their own self. They're just being pushed and pulled through this world by everything in the world but God. <clears throat> you know, First Kings eighteen twenty one. Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. That's the way this world is right now. This world, this world is either listening to God or they're listening to Baal. 
and you say Baal, they don't we ain't worse they ain't people worshiping oh yeah, these people worshiping Baal, they just don't know him by that name. But they worshiping the same false gods that the Canaanites worship. They worshiping the same old false deities that sacrifice babies and that and that, that get it get in the sodomite behavior, that old the old satanic deities or false deities. Baal, that's who that's where he comes from. He fits right into there. And again, the same old things are prevalent in our world that were prevalent in the world back then. The same old the same old things. And and just like Elijah said, you know, if if the Lord if he's God, then follow him, then then, then worship him. Quit quit following the world. Quit going after everything that everybody else is doing in the world blindly. But people do it. But people do it. Um, again, a, a man's a man's heart devises this way, but the Bible says that the Lord directs his steps. Well, what does that mean? That means we can make all kinds of plans. We we can we can plan everything out. But you never ought to think that that our ability to plan makes us in control of our lives or Lord over our own lives, because it doesn't make us it doesn't make us in control. Amen. It's the Lord that directs. We plan, but the Lord's the one who's, who says, "Okay, well, this, you know, you, you, a writer, you know, a writer can write all kinds of things, scenes in a movie, but until the director says action, it ain't going to happen. And we can write a big script of what our life's going to be, but unless God says action, it ain't going to happen. Amen. Psalm thirty-seven, twenty-three, and twenty-four: the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. In other words, and he delighteth in his way. It's the Lord that directs our steps. And the Bible says, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. God's in charge. He's directing the steps. You know, it's just like a, a daddy holding his little boy's hand. And, you know, and he's learning to walk. Well, if he falls down, they ain't going to leave him there. He's going to help him up and keep him walking. And that's what God does with us as we're walking in his way because we need his strength and his guidance and his help and his comfort and his care to walk in his way. And the Lord will do that. He'll help us to do that. <clears throat> plan that we make should be held in humility before God and in surrender to his ultimate will rather than saying, that's what I'm going to do, God. So I'll say, Lord, if you will, this is what I'd like to do. And again, we're to, that's the way we're to do things. That's the way we're to talk to God. Lord, if you're willing, that, that's what I'd like to do. <clears throat> again, Preacher here, he said. Uh, he said a man may plan his road to the last detail, but he can't implement his planning unless it coincides with God's plan for him. And that's the truth. Amen. Romans eight twenty eight through thirty one. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to what, whose purpose, not ours, is. We're called to do it God's way, not our way. We're to do it. God's to direct. Amen. We're called. Amen. We've got a script. Amen. You know, even though, and here's the thing. Here's what you want to do. You want you want to pray, God, show me what your script is. I'm using this direction thing. I'm trying to use the analogy. God, show me what the plan is. I'll get in line with the plan if you show me the plan, and I'll walk in it. What we have to do is come to the realization that our plans are not, I mean, they may have been well thought out, but. They didn't line up with God's. They weren't that good. So he says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did, he, his plan, here's his plan, for whom he did foreknow. So he knew that you and I were going to get saved. He knew when we would get saved. He knew all about it. So he predestinated us to be conformed. He has a plan for us to not stay the way we are, but to be changed day by day as we spend time with him into the image of his son. Conformed to the image of his son. If you can picture, if you can picture taking Play-Doh in those little, uh, I used to have a Fred Flintstone mold, and I'd press it in Barney Rubble, and I'd press it Play-Doh in there, and then I'd pull that mold off, and it was Fred Flintstone right there in my hand, Barney Rubble. I conformed it to the image of Fred Flintstone. God is trying to do the same thing with me. Sometimes very much the same way. I'm I'm resisting Him, and He's forcing me down into that mold. God wants to do that every one of us. Conform us to the image of his son. What for? Tells us that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That means that, hey, I got saved. I got born again. 
I can go tell somebody else that they get born again. I can tell somebody else they can get born again. And, and eventually, I got a whole bunch of brothers in Christ that I didn't have before. Because I got born again, I wanted them to get born again. And he said, moreover, whom he did predestinate, that's God having a plan again, them he also called. So again, he had a plan to draw us to himself. And whom he called, he also justified. So he made us right in his sight. And whom he justified, he also glorified. He's got a plan for us in the end in heaven. And what shall we say to these things? Paul said, if God be for us, who can be against us? And we've got a pretty good deal with God. Amen. All, all he wants us to do is quit trying to run the show and let him have it. If we'll turn the wheel over to him, God will get us where we need to go. Verse 10. A divine sentence is in the lips of the king. Transgresseth not in judgment. A divine sentence. I'm going to try to move quick because I, I know we're running out of time and i got a little ways to go. This divine sentence, this word divine here uh, in, in this phrase, it, it's, it's most every other place in the Bible, well, exactly every other place in the Bible that you see it except for right here in this verse 10, it's used in a sense of seeking occult, occult things or demonic guidance, like uh, trying to enchantments, trying to seek familiar spirits and things of that nature. Every other place except for this one. And here it's, it's not used that way. It's used in the sense of, of wise guidance. Uh, the wisdom that should be on the lips of the king. In other words, instead of seeking div- uh, divining for occult, occultic things, it's the king relying on God to give him what to say. In Hebrew, uh, divination is sometimes taken in a good sense uh, for carefulness or prudence, it says. Uh, a great wisdom and a sharp judgment to discern unsolved, difficult cases. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. In 1 Kings chapter 3, you had two harlots that lived in a house together, and each of them had a baby a few days apart. And one of them, during the night, had laid on top of her baby, and it suffocated. And the next day, they came before Solomon, and they they both claimed to be the mother of the living baby. And Solomon said, okay, we can solve this problem. He says it right here in verse 25. He said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Y'all know what happened. The real mama said, no, no, let her have the baby. That's the mother right there. That, again, that's God's wisdom. God put that, I guarantee you, Solomon hadn't been spending all his life waiting for the moment when he could use that little piece of wisdom. God put that in his head. That's exactly what we're talking about. A divine sentence is in the lips of the king. His mouth transgresseth not in judgment. Uh, it just simply means he speaks for God. His mouth transgresseth not in judgment. The same lips that must speak wisdom and discernment shouldn't also be used for selfish plans and tyrannical rule. So a king needs to be true to God. He doesn't need to to take upon himself, hey, I am God, like the Caesars would do. They they, they got too big for their britches. Uh, a king ought, ought to be humble before God is what this this is trying to tell us. Um, you know, again, there's, there's a, I'm sure, have been a lot of societies where the king felt as though he could do no wrong, but the Bible doesn't support that idea at all. Uh, he's a man under authority, and God is his authority. And he answers to God. Uh, Verse 11. A just weight and balance are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are his his work. A just weight, I can't talk tonight. A just weight and balance are the Lord's. Fair business, dealing with people right. Just weights, in other words, Weights that are right, and I know you got to understand, and I know most of you probably already do, but maybe somebody watching and listening don't know what I'm talking about. If you've ever seen the whole uh, Justice is Blind statue where Liberty, or she's holding, she's blindfolded and she's holding a set of scales, okay, that's the kind of scales we're talking about. And of course, you know, they got, you got your grain on one side or your gold on one side, and to weigh it, you got your weights that go on the other side, and that's how you can tell. And a lot of times they'd take, they'd take weights and, and the, the weights, uh, you know, it, the weights were either, I can try to think it would be heavier or it would be lighter. Um, it would be lighter, be li- wouldn't it? No, it would be heavier. 
it, it wouldn't be right. The weight would say five ounces, and it would actually be more like ten ounces. So they'd have to put more grain or whatever, more whatever, onto the scales to make it right. And that way, they'd rip people off. And God says, I don't go for that. I don't go for that. I, I, I want a right measure. I want a just weight and a just balance. All of God's measurements and assessments are fair and true. God never does anything wrong. God never makes a mistake. And, 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 the, and here's the thing. The way to figure out the proper measure, that don't come from the king. And it don't belong to the king to say what's the proper measure. The right measurement comes from God and belongs to God because God is the one who decides what's right and what's wrong. Balance, uh, balance weight refers to a stationary balance. So that's what we're talking about. And, again, it's all about the weights. And the weights of the bag, the Bible says, are his work. And, and that, that, again, this is assuming that the bag contains honest weights and honest scales. You know, there's all kinds of corrupt things in this world. There's, there's crooked dice and there's all kinds of crooked things in this world. People trying to cheat somebody else. Uh, uh, you know, again, I, I, don't go, I don't go gambling, but I've heard that, they, that that wheel is spin. Well, they can really rig that thing. That's easy to rig. I wouldn't want I wouldn't want to lose my money on such as that. But anyway, uh God does things fairly, always. His work is, is fair work. Um something to note here in verse eleven, it says a just weight and balance of the Lord's all the weights of the bag are his work. It doesn't mention a king in that verse. We've been talking about a king, but verse eleven doesn't mention a king, and there's a reason for that, there's a theological reason for that. Uh, using this image of scales and measures. It's teaching that the principle of justice doesn't come from a king. It doesn't come from a president. It doesn't come from a Congress. It doesn't come from senates. It comes from God. You know, again, government, they just they just disseminate what God hands down. They just administer what God has put into their lap to administer. Uh, again, they don't decide. And, and we're living in a day and time where where they are trying to uh they're trying to legislate um, they're trying to legislate corruption is what they're trying to do. They're trying to make corrupt things legal and, and it's a dangerous time for us to live, honestly, because of that. Because again, governments are so corrupt. And I you know, I I, I spent a lot of time watching things that nobody else would sit and watch probably. I sit and watch Canadian Parliament sometimes. I sit and watch. I sit and watch our, you know, C-SPAN sometimes, and and listen to some of our elected officials talking, and and it's just absolutely insanity. They're dismantling our world. They're breaking it down little by little, piece by piece. And the reason they're doing that is to usher in the new world order. They have to dismantle the old system in order to bring in a new. And what we're watching is a slow dismantling, and it's speeding up all the time of the world around us. Jesus is coming soon, y'all. It's going to happen very soon, sooner rather than later. And, and again, all these things are just reinforcing the truth that God's way is right and man's way is so corrupt. And, uh, again, verse 12, let's keep going, almost there. It's an abomination to kings to commit wickedness. Well, of course it is. For the throne is established by righteousness. It's an abomination. Solomon admitted that it was possible for kings to commit wickedness. They're not above the law. He put it plain right there. And some think that because somebody's a king or a leader, that everything they do is justified. Well, it's the king. It's justified to do it. You know, he's the president. He can do what he wants. No, that's not true. I mean, Solomon, you know, the greatest greatest king that ever lived. But what did Solomon do? Solomon committed all kinds of wickedness before he was done. I'll give you some of it. I'm going to read you ten verses. Hang on. First Kings 11, 1 through 10. Listen to what he did. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go in unto them. Neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. God warned him. Solomon clave unto these in love. He says, oh, I just love all these wicked old heathen women so much. And he had 700 wives. He loved them so much he lost his cotton-picking mind. Lost his cotton-picking mind. He was grabbing women faster than he could get a handful. Just bring them all in. 
He opened the lock gate and said, send them all in, 700 of them. He never had time for all them women. If he lived his life trying to visit all of them, he'd never seen them all, I guarantee you. It, I mean, it would I mean, I guess he would have eventually, but it would have took him over three years to run through all of them. And I'd have got, I, listen, I'd, been, I'd want some time myself. I don't know about y'all, but I mean, that's, I'd have wanted some alone time. I mean, after about several of them, I'd have wanted alone time. I probably wanted that to one. But anyway, hey, he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. Some was 300 girlfriends on the side. And his wives turned away his heart. Well, imagine that. I think most men have trouble with one woman trying to turn their heart away to do what she wants. I mean, women bat their eyelashes and they say, oh, sugar, oh, sweetheart. Imagine a thousand of them. Good night. He never had a chance. (sighs) Anyway, for it came to pass when he was old. Yeah, he, got, he was old softy. That his wives turned away his heart after other gods. They said, baby, you got this big, you got this big old palace for God Almighty, but Ashtoreth, he ain't got no palace. Milcom ain't got no palace. Good heavens. Moloch ain't got no palace. For his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. Perfect? David committed adultery, had his best friend killed. Now, wait a minute. So, again, don't mean you're perfect without sin. It just means your ways please the Lord. David's ways pleased the Lord because he had a heart for God, and he repented when he done wrong. That's why God. That's why his ways pleased the Lord, because David was good at repenting before God. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth. He said, who is that? We know her as Ishtar or Semiramis. She was the big bad woman of, of, of Babylon. She was the one of Babel. But anyway, that's her new name. But Semiramis, her old name. They went at, he went after, went after her, the goddess of the Zidonians. And by the way, she is the goddess of sexual immorality. So all the vile things that we have in our world today, the cross-dressing transvestites and all that garbage and the androgyny and all that, that's all wrapped up in Ashtoreth. So all that garbage is going on in the temples that, that Solomon built for his wives who went after Ashtoreth, uh, the daughter, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And, 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 and Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh the abomination of Moab in the hill that's before Jerusalem. So for Chemosh on the Mount of Olives, he built a temple for Chemosh on the Mount of Olives. Yeah. It says on the hill that's before Jerusalem, that's the Mount of Olives. And for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon, that's, that's that bull god with his hands out that they would beat drums and heat that thing up red hot and the people would bring and they would scream and shriek as they would lay their little baby infant in those red hot hands and the skin would draw back and it would shriek out as it was burning to death. Horrible stuff. Horrible. You said, preacher, you shouldn't talk about that such. Well, it's in the Bible. They did those things. This is what King Solomon would, would this is this is how his heart got turned away from God. And he was the wisest man that ever lived. Who make you and me say, well, how do we ever have a chance? Well, praise God, we have the Spirit of God indwelling us. And we have the Word of God laying in our laps. And Solomon, didn't, he wasn't afforded everything we have as, as New, New Testament Christians. And likewise, did he for all his strange wives, for all those 700 strange wives he had, he was catering to their God worship their little god worship, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. Well, who knows how they all sacrificed. I'm sure some of it was some grotesque stuff, but he went right on ahead and financed it. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, 
but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Now, what do we take away from his behavior? I'll give you three things we can take away from it. Let him who thinks he standeth take heed lest he fall. If the wisest man that ever lived could be that foolish, you and I better be careful. Secondly, look at the danger of a prosperous condition. Again, if you had all the money in the world, what would you do? You might wind up the same shoe Solomon wound up in. It's hard to overcome those kind of temptations. That's why God don't make Christians wealthy very often. You know, the, the and, I, and I thought about this today. The, the wealthiest Christians I've ever known, they all had the same kind of heart. They were all full of generosity and love for other people. And that's why God allowed them to have what he allowed them to have, because he knew they be, could be entrusted with what he gave them. Um, and the third thing is see what a need for those who've made a great profession of faith in God, in Christ, and showed themselves to be really zealous toward God, to be on fire for God, to be extremely watchful because the devil is looking to devour you. And if you fall down, the disappointment and the devastation that it will cause will be a whole lot greater than somebody who ain't living for God. <clears throat> for the throne is established by righteousness. The righteous life of a king invites God's blessing upon his life and reign. Because of the great potential and influence, it's even a greater sin for kings to commit wickedness. I mean, they're the kings, crying out loud. Don't you think, I mean, they're, they're responsible for the whole kingdom. If the devil can get to the king, well, he can get to their kingdom. So, again, it's, it's such a responsibility for the king to, to, to let God rule in his life. Verse 13, I'm almost done, y'all. Righteous lips are the delight of the kings. They love him that speaketh right. Righteous lips are the delight of kings. Think about this. They're in a position of authority, and it's important for kings to hear the truth, not have somebody who's not to have a, be surrounded by a bunch of yes men who are just going to tell them what they want to hear and, and, and tell them, you know, tickle their ears. Again, the king value, a king would value somebody who, who tells him the truth. They love he, they love him that speaketh right. Even when a man says something that's difficult for the king to hear, the person who speaks what is right will gain the love and the respect of the king because, again, they're telling him the truth. I'd rather somebody tell me the truth even if it hurts than for somebody to lie to me and it hurt worse later. Amen? So it's very important that, that, that you tell the truth, even if, I mean, especially if you stand before an authority someday. In verse 14, and we'll wind up on this one, the wrath of the king is as messengers of death, but a wise man will pacify it. When a king or somebody in authority is angry, his reaction can bring death or, or, or a fear of death to somebody else. You remember we talked Sunday about Nehemiah. Nehemiah standing, he was a cupbearer to the king, Artaxerxes, and he was depressed. And to be depressed in the king's presence was to say to the king, you know, you're not as wonderful as you think you are because you ain't, you ain't wonderful enough to cheer me up, you know, and, that, and that's, that's an insult to the king. The king could take your head off for that. So, again, uh, the wrath of the king is as a messenger of death. It's true of earthly kings, but think about this. It's much truer of the king of kings. We certainly don't want God to be angry. We don't want God's wrath, that's for sure. And, and to be the target of God's wrath, is you, you better know that's the messengers of death. But I thank God. Bible says a wise man will pacify. Wisdom can help us to have the right reaction, even in difficult moments when a king or a person of authority is angry and, and, and shows us that they're angry. If you ever find yourself in the presence of somebody who has power to hurt you, uh, you know, you better, you better use wisdom. You better think carefully how you speak to them. But God, God will give you what to say in that in that instance. And the Bible says a wise man will pacify that anger. A wise man or woman will especially know how to appease the wrath of a king of kings. And it won't be by our own works. It won't be by our own merits. No, it's only by receiving what God has given us in the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can pacify the wrath of God. Amen. And I thank God that he's done that for me. Hallelujah. He's my paraclete. Amen. He's my intercessor. He's my savior. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 
And somebody listening to me don't know Christ as their Savior. He can intercede for you, and and and, and he'll 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 give you that gift for you, and you'll have eternal life. All you got to do is come to him and confess that you lost and you need Jesus. And if you'll come to him and trust him and what he did on Calvary for you, he died for your sins, was buried, and rose from the grave, signifying that he satisfied the wrath of God. And by believing and trusting in his finished work, we can have eternal life. Let's stand together. All right. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> let's get out here and have a good week. And let's let's love others for Christ's sake. Amen. And let's, let's be asking God. God used me. I mean, I don't know how long it's been since you prayed that prayer, but but we ought to be praying that prayer daily. God used me. Find somebody in my day that I can be a blessing to. And sometimes God using you don't necessarily mean you've got to give a gospel presentation. Sometimes it's being an encourager. Sometimes it's just saying a, saying a word to lift somebody else up instead of tearing them down. But let's ask God to use us. And you know what? If we'll do that, we, listen, we'll begin pleasing God. If we're pleasing God, it sure make everything else in our life a lot better. All right? Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Let's ask God to bless us. Brother Dan, dismiss us in prayer.